Planet Football with John Bradley. Premier League, European and international. This is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Hello there. The big countdown is on towards the end of another long football season. And on Planet Football tonight, we're going to round up everything and just leave you with the... What's going to happen for the rest of the summer? Because obviously there are leagues that still go on throughout the course of the summer. But we're going to wrap things up tonight and then have a little holiday. So let's get started where we always start with our very special guest who knows everything about European football. Daily into Europe. Good afternoon, Roberto. Good afternoon, mate. I'm sad it's almost all over. I know, but, you know, we do need a holiday as well. Oh, need although, a although me and you are at the Champions League <laughs> final doing that on Saturday, I've got a Russian Premier League game that will decide who goes into the Europa League to do on Sunday. Then I've got a week off, and then we start again, don't we? Yeah, and we do the getting, European... I'm getting away to Spain before the under-21s. Oh, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to Greece. Ah, there we go. I'm off to go and find out about Kyriakos Papadopoulos. Oh, what a player. From Schalke 04, who's been strongly linked with Liverpool today. We'll mention him in a minute. Wow. Um, but we're just about all done, aren't we, pal? Yeah, we are. Um, most of them three more leagues done. Three Back. more leagues have been sorted this weekend. Yeah, Belgium. Uh, Anderlecht were under threat in their title race uh, from Zolte Varagem. It would have been the biggest shock of the century uh, in Belgium. Uh, since the turn of the century, if they had won the title, but Anderlecht played them on the final day of the season, um, uh, played Ghent, I should say, on the final day of the season, and got a one-one draw, which was just enough to see them through. Um, and you know they are the they are the champions. So um, full credit to Anderlecht; they only lost three times a season. Basalti Varagem, an excellent season for them, um, and it will be hard for them to keep a number of their key players, I think. But yeah. uh, nonetheless, Anderlecht has shown that they are. And, and they continue to be the dominant force in Belgian football. Well, Torgan Azar, the brother of uh, Eden, had a great season, didn't he, there? And he's just got his first call-up for Belgium after his year at Zulta. Yeah, it was. I think a few people were surprised when Chelsea bought him in the first place. They thought mm. it was maybe to appease Eden, because uh, a lot of the Belgian journalists were saying, and French journalists were saying, he's not that good. Yeah. Uh, but he's had a good season. Yeah. So uh, it remains to be seen whether he can make the great at Chelsea, but nonetheless a, a very good campaign for him. That Anderlecht team looks as though it's going to be ripped apart as well. I mean, there's, there's talk of Mbukani going to West Bromwich Albion and a load of others leaving, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mbukani has been described as almost Benteke-like. Listen, I listen. I saw Mbukani when he was at Standard Liège five, what four, five years yeah. ago, uh, and he was decent then. He went off to Monaco, didn't he, um, and into the French league, and now he's gone back to to Belgian football, and now they took. But Newcastle very nearly took him five years ago. Oh, did they? Well, mm. 19 goals this season. Um, he is 27, so he's not, you know, one of the up-and-coming stars um, from the Pro League. Um, and, of course, there's Matias Suarez, who um, this week said he, he had no intention to ever join CSK Moscow. So, you know... Um, I, is, that, is that before or after he'd failed two medicals? After. <laughs> after he failed two medicals. So, um, he said he never wanted to join CSK. Uh, I find it a little hard to believe, but he's a very talented centre-forward, good in Europe. Um, I wonder if he'll be off too. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. Now, obviously, uh, the award for the team who had the worst week of the season last week went to Benfica, and that all culminated at the weekend because, of course, they lost to Porto. Uh, they were both at the top of the league. They were both fighting. They lost to a 94th-minute Kelvin goal uh, in that game. We talked to Andy Brassell about it on Planet Football last week, and it meant that that at the weekend they had to win and Porto uh, had to draw at Pazos de Ferreira uh, and in the middle of that of course they lost to Chelsea in the 92nd minute of the Europa League final so it's a miserable week for Benfica heartbreaking stuff really um I think for Jorge Jesus, the one thing he said that was quite nice after the final was that Johan Cruyff said he really liked the way his team played. <laughs> Aside from that, it hasn't been a great week. Um, so, a disappointment for them. Full credit to, to Porto for an excellent yeah. season because they have gone unbeaten. And Vitor Pereira, despite them being unbeaten, when they were four points behind Benfica... Just, just confirm to us, they've had two defeats in the league in three seasons. I think that's right. Unbelievable. I mean, isn't that crazy? Mm. To, and, it, it, you know, it, it isn't complete dominance because it has been a two-horse race this season. Yeah. One point between them, you yeah. know, uh, the difference being that Benfica lost one game and drew five, and Porto lost none and drew six. Mm. You know, that these are the margins. Goal difference, by the way, Porto plus 56, Benfica plus 57. I mean, nothing between them. And we knew, we said on the show uh, months ago that it was going to come down to that game in yeah. May, and uh, it really did. So Porto winning at the weekend, just to confirm it. Uh, the other league title that was wrapped up at the weekend was a game you commentated on out in sunny Moscow. I think it was about 30 degrees yeah, as well. Right. Yeah, it got warm there to keep stopping the game to take on water. It's... Um, uh, they're having a heat wave in Russia at the minute and it, it, around Moscow and around there. It's been really hot, but uh, in keeping with the Russian Premier League this season, it wasn't the way to wrap up the league title because it was turgid. It was really bad. And I was I was a bit disappointed. It was a lot like the way Siska have played in the latter stages of the season. They, they, they needed a draw with Kuban Krasnodar because over there... Uh, the league isn't decided if you're level on points by goal yeah. difference, it's wins. So uh, they go six points ahead of Zenit with one to go and more wins than them. It meant they win the toll. So they played out this drab nil-nil with Kuban Krasnodar. It sort of suited the visitors because they just need to clock up a few points to guarantee mm. themselves a spot in Europe. Um, and the last five, ten minutes, maybe no one was shooting. No well, one was Kuban, Kuban knocked off, didn't they? They thought a point yeah. was a good result. Yeah, exactly. uh, and it turned out to be with Tarek Grozny getting beat. Uh, I think the big results of the weekend was the game at Dinamo Moscow because they got beat at bottom side of Lania and, uh, and Tarek losing as well. And Spartak winning, didn't they, at Krasnodar? Yeah, exactly. So, as things stand, um, you know, Siska are the, the new champions. Three points ahead is Zenit, but they can't be caught. Yeah. Uh, and then Angie um, are into the UEFA Europa League spots. So, Spartak, Kuban, Dinamo, Rubin, and Terek, I think, are still Yeah, still an outsider. Yeah they, yeah, they got beat. But, I mean, there were two big incidents in the weekend in Russian football. One of them involving the captain of Zenit, or he was, and the man who captained Russia against Brazil in the last international, Raman Shirokov, who has been linked with a lot of English clubs. He's 32 this summer, so he probably won't come over here. But he's a very, very good player. But he basically gave the bird to his own fans. Yes, and I read somewhere, I don't know what you've seen on this, is because... 
he congratulated Cesca on their title win on his Twitter page, mm. and apparently he got a load of abuse. Well, he's been getting abuse for a while. The, yeah, the, right, the, yeah, The relationship between the two hasn't been great for a while, and basically he gave him the bird when he scored, <laughs> and he got sent off. Uh, the other one uh, involved uh, Alexander Kokorin, the new golden boy of Russian football, who launched what was a truly awful tackle uh, in the Alania game and it started a mass full pitch brawl involving every player, the police, staff of both clubs, stewards basically there were about 50 people on the pitch fighting at one stage uh, the referee sent off four and booked five for it didn't he? Well we shouldn't laugh but it, I know it was it awful sort of, but it was It sort of sums yeah. up Russian football yeah. sometimes how these mad things can happen and interesting you're talking about Kokorin sort of being that the golden boy of Russian football. It's weird that these Russian stars don't mature and really come into their best when they yeah. turn to 28, 29. I mean, we sure it with us, Sharvin. Yeah. Uh, as well isn't a spring chicken by any means, but has had a great sort of latter Well, you look at Zagoyev as well, who's oh. been sent off twice this season. Exactly, and he hasn't been great, uh, although he, he, he has been one of their key players this season. You know, uh, there has been talk about him going to Dortmund in the Bundesliga, yeah. but a lot of experts in Russia say it's just too early for him. He's not ready for it. No. Um, uh, he's from Beslan, of course, which is uh, the small town which made the news, of course, because of the school siege a long time ago. Yeah. And all he does is loves his mum and dad uh, you know they're cooking in the home life, so you know it's, I wouldn't expect him to move outside Russia at the moment. Would you? No, no, probably not. I, I expect at least one more season would do him some good. He needs to grow up and he needs mm. to get involved in games more. And Fabio Capello said exactly the same in the week. The Russia head coach. Yeah, it's interesting. What else then, mate? What, what, what have we got left then? I think we've got a game left in Spain, haven't we? As well, and a couple more leagues. France ends this weekend, but that's all been done for a while. So everything's winding down, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there was some exciting excitement in Germany because Bayern. Uh, one at Mönchengladbach 4-3 and Dortmund lost at home mm. uh, which meant that Hoffenheim would stay up and Grosskreutz we always love it when an outfield player goes in goals yeah. he had to try and save a penalty it was embarrassingly poor but really funny if you can find that somewhere <laughs> his attempt to save the penalty in Spain they go on for another two weeks as you say uh, the fight for the, the Champions League spots is now um, what, what they're really fighting for at the moment in fourth it's Real Sociedad uh, level on points in Valencia just ahead of them on uh, goal difference. Uh, it's between those two sides to see who will join Barca, um, Real Madrid and Atletico who take the top three spots. Interesting. This weekend is the Champions League final. Let's put it on the table on the very first edition of Planet Football way back last year. You said that Borussia Dortmund would win the UEFA Champions League. I am delighted you've remembered this, <laughs> and I want everyone to remember I said that. Um, but <laughs> I did, I don't know if you remember, I knocked them out in the semi. Yeah, you did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, I'm so excited. And if anyone's seen the write up on Jurgen Klopp in The Guardian today, uh, it is one of the most fantastic interviews uh, you'll ever read. Jurgen Klopp is just this bizarre manager who has, he took his Dortmund players away, John, for five days without food into the wilderness, and they had to fish and camp in tents and just sort of survive for five days. He's just utterly balmy, um, but he has created a unity that you don't see a lot of managers doing now. Mm. I suspect he'll stay at Dortmund. He loves it, the, loves it at the club, and we have this big managerial merry-go-round, really horrible cliche there, but there's going to be a lot of change. Uh, this is going to be a very exciting summer on the way for European football. Yeah, it, you know, it's fascinating, really, isn't it? I mean, in terms of the, the, the year gone by, Rob, how would you, you know, what are your main thoughts on what we've seen in Europe this year? 
we have seen leagues dominated by one or two teams. Mm. And I, I slightly worry about that. It has been a trend across the continent. And I know uh, City certainly fell away here. Uh, but United and City were still the two superpowers this season. Chelsea fell at the title race fairly early. And I wonder if this is a trend we're going to continue to see um, in all the leagues. I mean, we've certainly seen it in Germany this year as well. Uh, Portugal, it's already very apparent. Spain, uh, famous for its um, uh, two sides fighting for the title, uh, or despite Atletico's good campaign. I think that's maybe the standout, maybe slightly worrying thing. I'm not sure. Maybe not worrying. Uh, it means the Champions League will be excellent again. Uh, but Borussia Dortmund, for me, have been one of the stories of the season. Are they your team of the year? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, Them, fantastic. And the other team I'd give a special mention to is Passos de Ferreira in Portugal. But it will count for nothing if they don't reach the group stage of the Champions League. This little team with a stadium that holds, what, barely 5,000 people right. uh, with a budget basically, which would be like a League 2 budget in England. <laughs> Phenomenal achievement. Yeah, third in the table, and full credit to them. It, it is that thing that Everton know very well, that you can get into the Champions League spots in your league, and you might not make the groups. And it, and it is awfully cruel to get in the playoffs, and the playoffs have some unbelievable teams in there this year. Uh, AC Milan just scraping in with their rather controversial win at the weekend um, because there was a Mario Balotelli sort of dive type thing where he won a penalty <laughs> and, it, and ultimately cost uh, Fiorentina, yeah. who were battling for third. So, very strong playoff round this year. Uh, the Champions League just keeps getting stronger and stronger. I just wonder if in the leagues uh, we're getting this sort of duopoly and, and, you know, two teams fighting it out, really. Yeah, it's interesting. Rob? It has been a pleasure this year, my friend. Thank you very much for having me on this season, John. It's I been will, a great fun. The great thing is is that I will see you, of course, uh, for the final at Wembley this weekend, which we can uh, both look forward to. But from Planet Football, it's been a pleasure and a privilege to have your knowledge and expertise on European football this year. Till next season. Thank you very much indeed. That's Rob Jaley joining us as ever with his European football roundup. And, and that's it for basically the European leagues as it is. But of course, the big game is still to come as we were talking to Rob there, the Champions League final. And next up on Planet Football, we're going to go to Germany to talk to our German expert, James Thorogood, who's going to give us the lowdown on the two contenders who will fight it out for all big ears at Wembley this coming weekend. <laughs> This is Planet Football with John Bradley, City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to Planet Football this Tuesday evening. Uh, there's the traffic and the travel to get you home this Tuesday night. And as we've been saying in part one of this show, the leagues are all winding down and it's all about relegation, who's going to get Champions League places or Europa League places because the league titles just about everywhere have been done and, and the league that was wrapped up second, I think, in Europe this season because Greece was done first, Olympiakos, but the second was Germany, where FC Bayern München wrapped it up very, very early, but the intrigue about the whole season there has been the Champions League and Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich, and it all comes to a head this weekend, because at Wembley Stadium on Saturday night two German teams have come and they will take over Wembley, they'll take over London for a night as Bayern and Borussia Dortmund go head-to-head -head for the right to lift all big ears. And who better to talk to than our man in Germany who's been our expert all season on Planet Football, Mr James Thorogood. James, good evening to you. Good evening, John. How are you doing? I'm very well, my friend. Very, very well indeed. Um, Germany has taken over London. 
It's so fascinating. Do they call the uh, do they do they call the cup old big ears in Germany like we do? Uh, well, they call it the Henkel pot, um, which you know directly translated just means handle pot. Um, so they don't have a rather special name for it, but it, it is one that gets used in several media circles over here, that's for sure. The Hendel pot, though, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic. Tell me about... It's like your typical German name for it, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. Think of Just... anything a bit more German than that. Yeah, basically, it says exactly what it does on the tin. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly it. Um What's the build-up been like over there? How are the media reacting? What's happening? To how the people? I know you're in Munich itself, but but how is everyone warming up for the game? Um, everyone is thoroughly looking forward to it. I think you know the, the whole of Germany would be forgiven for being distracted at work for the next couple of days until the final. But you know it, the media is going all over it. There's there's new articles every day updating us on how the players are doing and and giving us the build up and things like that. And, and we're involved in that with dot com here as well. So I mean it's a it's a Everyone's just ready for it. I think they're so excited to see two German teams in the Champions League final for the very first time in the history of the competition. And, you know, it's, it's hard to argue that these two teams don't deserve to be there. And I think German, Germany and I think the rest of the world has recognised that as well in terms of Bayern have been indomitable all season and, you know, almost impossible to beat at times and certainly deserve to be there based on what they've done in the, the Champions League. And I think you can say the same for Dortmund, though they've done it from the, the theory of an underdog, really. I want to look at it that way, and yeah, yeah. I have noticed there is a definite clamour for Dortmund to win it. All, all the people seem to want Dortmund to win because of Jurgen Klopp and you know his um, rather animated, extravagant, outgoing personality, and people have really warmed to him. Uh, and whereas Bayern are seen as the super-efficient, super-German team, which I think is a little harsh on them because they play a lot better football than that, but everyone seems to want Dortmund to win outside probably Munich. Is that is that right in Germany? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. You know, 60%, there's, there's these random statistics that come out, like 60% of uh, the German population support Bayern Munich. So you could maybe consider the, the majority of Germany will be hoping that Bayern win it. Um, but I think a lot of the neutrals, it's funny, if, if Bayern hadn't come up against Dortmund, I think all the neutrals would be looking at Bayern and saying, they've been. To, this is their third final in four seasons. They, oh, you know, we've got to give it to them. They've mm. got to win it one time. You know, we feel for the pain that they went through last season. Um, whereas because Dortmund are in it, and because, as you say, Jürgen Klopp and his team are such a, a wonderful team to watch, um, and, and really... They, they evoke all the emotions you want as a football fan, especially when you're neutral in terms of thrilling football, easy on the eye style of play. And at the same time, there's that added element of drama in this squad and the way they got past Malaga and the like. So I think the neutrals and probably abroad mostly will be going for Dortmund. And I can understand why, because you look at them and you really fall in love with that club. Did you sense, and I know I've asked you this before, but there is a more steely determination about Bayern this year in the Champions League with what happened last year and two years ago? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, if we look at their season and how they have gone for the juggler in every game that they've played in, in fantastic style, uh, they have been a team that have got the bit between their teeth. And I think it was proven definitely on the final day of the Bundesliga season this weekend when they were, they, they were you know, they conceded three goals inside the first 10 minutes. And yet, even though it's the last day of the season, they've got a big game coming up in terms of the Champions League final. These guys wanted to win that match. They did not want to let that slip through their grasp. And sure enough, they came back and won it 4-3. And it was a phenomenal game to watch. But I think that really 
embodied the changes that have happened at Bayern this season in terms of their mentality and never being complacent because that's something we have been able to criticise them before in the past, whereas this season the hunger is just undeniable. Uh, everyone's saying if it's going to penalties, will Mario Goethe take one? I think Mario Goethe is a player that has proven himself in big game situations, especially against Bayern, it should yeah. be noted as well. But if it comes to a penalty, I think that just might be the border of where Mario's 20-year-old mental ability can go, let's say. Yeah. Because that's putting a whole heap of pressure on his shoulders from two camps, basically. Not just the one where you've got one set of supporters. You've got two wanting you to either score or miss, and that pressure, I think, might just be a little too much for Mario, unfortunately. Now, when they played in the league the other week, it wasn't evil, but it was a little unpleasant between the two sides, wasn't it? Yeah, it was strange. I think I read a statistic. There had only been about five yellow cards in the previous three games between Bayern Munich and Dortmund before that. And then we had a couple of yellows ascending off for an elbow. that got, And then it all got a bit heated. But I think we wanted to see that in a way. A lot of the games that Dortmund and Bayern have played in recent years, OK, Dortmund have come out on top. But there's been an element of respect and they've tried to keep things clean as much as they can and play nice football. This time... It was almost like both teams wanted to send out a message. And before the Champions League final, I think that's what we want to see. So it's probably you won't see as many cards in the final, but I'm sure there'll be a few hard-hitting tackles for sure. What's your feeling, James? Are you favouring Bayern? Oh, it's such a hard one, John, I have to be honest, because my heart wants Dortmund to win, mm. but my head says Bayern are going to win. And, and I've, I've made the prediction already on a couple of shows and on my own podcast that Bayern are going to win it 2-1 in extra time and so I'm sticking with that because that was my initial gut reaction and I think you know the difference maker for me could potentially be the players that come off the bench and Bayern can bring on a lot of mm. bigger guns you know Mario Gomez, Iron Robin although Robin will probably start the final and, and people like that and Dortmund can't quite go to their bench for the same type of power uh, and I think that might be the difference. But at the same time, I have to say, if Bayern end up winning 2-3-0, I wouldn't be surprised because of how incredible they've been this season. I just think Dortmund have a bit more about them and have the tactical now to be able to close Bayern down for the most part. And then I think Bayern's just, you know, a little bit more quality in terms of their squad. I think that is what's going to edge it for them over extra time. Mats Hummels, what's the feeling today? I mean, we're four days away from the game, but will he play or will he not? Well, he has come out and said that the injury is not as bad as first feared when he uh, turned his ankle against Hoffenheim on the weekend in the final match day. And so that's great news. Um, he has been doing training on and off, but I think that's them trying to protect his ankle as much as possible while still trying to keep him ready for the game. And so I would imagine Mats Hummels will start the, the final. Whether he stays on for the full 90 minutes is another question because he'll be the first player to bring himself off if he isn't feeling 100% yeah. on the pitch. And so he's a big one. And obviously Mario Goetze back in training. Um, he's been training by himself, but they, I think, are, both, are confident both will be able to start the match but may have to come off early. It's, it's a big gamble, isn't it, when, when you know it's such a big game and, and they want to play, but they, they have to be honest with themselves. And I'm certain that Jurgen Klopp will give them every chance, won't they, to play. In terms of, of Bayern, who plays at centre-half for you? Is it Boateng and Dante? Um, I personally would have gone with Daniel Van Boyten. Well, so would I. Um, That's my feeling. I would play Van Boyten and Dante, but but it seemed after the last game when Boateng played, I didn't know what had happened. No, I mean, it was an interesting one. Obviously, Van Boyten has been used as the replacement for Bard Stuber more yeah. often in the Champions League than Boateng. 
But at the same time, Van Boyden for me brings a bit of experience into a situation where maybe you need a level-headed guy at centre-back. And so it'll be interesting to see if he does have a part to play. Boateng is just as capable and maybe offers you the physical speed that uh, Daniel Van Boyden can't offer against some speedy forwards in Marco Royce and maybe Mario Götze. And so, I mean, there's positive and negatives to both. I personally would go for Van Boyden for the experience and the aerial threat he offers from corners and in terms of dealing with Lewandowski in the air as well. It's going to be an intriguing game. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm certain everyone's looking forward to it. While we have you as our German expert, we must ask you about uh, a couple of stories that have really grabbed hold in England over the last couple of days. Real speculation that, that Liverpool are looking at uh, Ron Robert Zieler and Kyriakos Papadopoulos. I mean, I've seen a lot of them both. I saw uh, Zieler when he was a young boy at Manchester United and Papadopoulos. Well, what's the word out there, James? Um, well, I mean, the reports are ultimately emanating from Germany, so there are sources in the German media that do seem to believe that both of these deals are at least being looked at. And, I mean, uh, Ron Robert Seeler, a great young keeper, don't get me wrong, but I genuinely think Liverpool could maybe look at a different young German keeper and do better than Ron Robert Seeler and still find an affordable goalkeeper that will give them several years as potentially the number one after Pepe. And, and I mean... For me, you know, there's likes of Oliver Baum and Kevin Trapp that maybe would do that a little bit better. Um, with Papadopoulos, I mean, he's one of the brightest young centre-backs in the world right now, in my opinion, and would be a phenomenal signing. I just wonder whether that's a realistic signing, given the fact that Schalke got Champions League football next season. He's, you know, their number one guy at centre-back, so why would he leave that to maybe come to Liverpool, who don't offer European football, and it pains me to say that they don't, but they don't right now. And um, so that'll be the interesting one with Papadopoulos, but I think Liverpool are right to be interested in both of these players, let's be honest. I've loved Papadopoulos from the first time I saw him, and he, you know, he's 18, 19 years old, and, and you knew he had a massive future. He's not the biggest in terms of physical strength, is he? But, but he reads the game very well uh, and he is outstanding. No, I mean, he's, well, you say he doesn't, he's a, he's a physical lad. Um, I think he's six foot three, if I've got that right. Is, it, is he really and that so big? He, I heard him down well, at smaller I mean, than he's that. Got, <laughs> he's got this, like, baby face. Mm. So it kind of, you know, counterbalances it and, you know, he is still only 20 years old. So, you know, he's got a lot of growing potentially to do, but more so as a player than I think physically anymore. But, I mean, he likes to put himself about. But, as you say, I think his main asset is that he reads the game and he's a, he's a great guy to have in the air at both ends of the pitch, really. So he, off, he would offer a lot. And I think when we're looking at a Jamie Carragher replacement, uh, you couldn't do much worse than Kyriakos Papadopoulos, that's for sure. In terms of his fitness, obviously he had the, the, the knee ligament injury, didn't he? That all over with, no problems at all with that now? Um, well, I mean, he's kind of on and off right now. Um, there have been rumours that he was back at training and then he had flown back to Greece without really letting the club know, or at least that's what was reported. Um, and so I think he's going to be... He's looking more to next season, of course, now that the season's over, but this is going on for the last three weeks or so. And so I think he just wanted to focus on next season, making sure he was 100% fit, ready to go to play the whole season potentially. And obviously you never want to risk it too much with an injury like his and so I think that was probably the prude move on his part and Schalke have got to the Champions League anyway even though they didn't have him for the last you know several months but you know it, it shows that he is a key player and they'll want to keep him at all costs I would imagine yeah brilliant James it's been great to talk to you as ever um, I'm certain there will be a talking fuzzball podcast special for the Champions League final 
Uh, yeah, we're actually recording it tomorrow night, so it'll be out Wednesday. So obviously, you know, we'd recommend people go and listen to that as much as I can while I'm on. <laughs> Always follow James on Twitter as well, at James Thorogood. Listen to his podcast. It is one of the most enjoyable ones that you will listen to. Gives you a great insight into the game. Um, and apart from that, all we can say is enjoy the weekend. It's going to be a busy weekend for you, James. Yeah, it will indeed. So it's going to be a great one as well, though. Have a great weekend, pal. It's great to talk to us ever on Planet Football. You too, John. Brilliant. Thank you very much to James Thurgood, previewing the Champions League final and giving us a really good insight as well into Liverpool's potential signings uh, from Germany this coming summer. Next up on Planet Football, we're going to round off our season with the first guest that we had on. We're going to speak to Joey Barton in France. That's next on Planet Football. Planet Football. City Talk 105.9. Uh, just before the end of this edition of Planet Football and Planet Football for the summer, uh, let's speak to the man who started it all off, the man in France and the man who's become a really good friend of Planet Football, Joey Barton, of course. Uh, we spoke to him at the weekend on Terry's Talk right here on City Talk 105.9 and what better to end than to give you a chance to listen to the interview again. Really fascinating stuff from Joey as he gives us an insight into his life and where the future lies for him and what Marseille have achieved in France this year. So this is Joey speaking to Terry's Talk at the weekend. Well worth a listen and very enjoyable as well. Congratulations, uh, Joey. You've reached the UEFA Champions League group stage next season in your first season in France. Yeah, mate, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a good achievement, but we haven't won anything. So yeah. uh, while it's great to get there, you know, it's not really that much celebration to be done. Uh, to be fair, though, Joey, I mean, you know, you went to France after a bad summer last summer in you know, QPR because you didn't know what was going to happen. You joined a team that finished 10th last season in Ligue 1 and, and it's been a great year, hasn't it? For You know, a, a turnaround for the team. Yeah, it's been, you know, a, a weird experience. You know, you're obviously coming to a different country. There's a lot of differences, you know, language, culture, you know, many, many different things and obviously you're walking into a team that's not had had the, the greatest of years and, and you know no disrespect to, to the French League but finishing 10th in France is not exactly the same as finishing 10th in in, uh, in the Premier League and especially when you play for a club this size you know I think there was there was obviously a lot of uh, a lot of cutting of, of dead wood in the summer and um, you know there was a big restructuring within the within the organisation and, and obviously you know then I turn up uh, <laughs> I turn up in, in early September so you know if you're a fan of Marseille you're thinking what's going on here Joey Snod's here Right, mate. I'm okay? all right, Paul. I'm still waiting for that drink. It was me that, uh, me and uh, Willie Mackay that got you over there. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know whether you. I, I'm trying to work out whether you owe me a drink, though. Yeah. <laughs> so are you enjoying it, Paul? How, how different is it day-to-day -day training at uh, an English club to a day-to-day -day training at a French club? And we were out in Marseille for for three days, uh, me and Big Willie Mackay. And I tell you what, it, it's a fantastic place to be. I mean, it's an incredible setup. I mean, obviously, you know, as you can imagine, a club of this size, they have, uh, you know, everything, you know, all bells and whistles when it comes to the training ground, and, and, and there's nothing sort of left to chance. But uh, the culture is totally different in terms of training. I mean, obviously, you know, us sort of English men are meant to train hard and work hard, and that's you know what we do out here. It's totally different, mate. It's like if you work hard, it's a sign of 
that means that you don't really have that much ability. So the French, or certainly mm. on the whole, most of them go around doing yeah. as little as possible. <laughs> um, and you see that with you see that with the French players that come to England. When you look at the great players who played in England from France, you know you don't have to look at so the greatest one of them all, which was Cantona. You know he did. He wasn't known for his, you know, for for, for putting a shift in. You know mm. he was known for the sort of flamboyant side of it. You know David, you know being another one and. Um, you know that, that that's what's in their culture, you know, and and, and you have to adapt to that. Um, so yeah, that that's been a really interesting experience. I mean, certainly for me, as someone who's a you know a student of the game and loves the game, and, and someone who you know, would would think about you know going into coaching or management at some stage, you know, in in, in my life, um, mm. you know, it certainly give me a massive insight into what goes on, you know, certainly how different, you know, mentalities or different cultures approach a game of football because I had only in my mind what, what the English do and what's accepted, you know, from us as, or what's expected from us as professionals or as, as footballers and, and obviously coming out here gives me a whole new, you know, wealth of, you know, mm. to, to hopefully take forward in, you know, whatever you do, not only in your life but obviously in the football career. How, how did you find the, the, the matches then, Joey? I mean, if you're saying that the, they don't like to run around too much and whatever, did you find the, the football reasonably easy to settle into? It's, it, it, it's a strange... Uh, it's a strange... Uh, you know, for me, playing in England for so long, you're so used to... Of, of you know coming off the off, off at the end of a game and literally you know you've just had a great battle there and you've literally give everything and, and probably for a couple of days after it you know mentally you're drained but physically you're drained as well and you've got the knocks and bruises and so on and so forth and and here if anything you're coming off the pitch thinking <laughs> because we, we were playing within a tactical in, in within the framework of a team or you know the, the tactical instructions and you know certainly for me there's been a big change from sort of getting box to box which is Mm-hmm. You know, that, that that's the level of a, of a good English midfielder. Can he get box to box? And if he can't, you know, for instance, you know, I think it's one of the criticisms that's been labelled that by Michael Carrick, and I think that's you know very unfairly, mm-hmm. is that he, he doesn't get box to box enough. Well, he doesn't need to because you know what he does for the team and the, and the role he performs in the team, he does a, a great thing. But in England, we sort of look down our nose a little bit at that. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the French philosophy, you know, they've always had. Someone who sits, so whether it be uh, you know Deschamps, who you can think of, who was the you know the archetypal. Well, he, there was a lot before him, but everyone sort of looked at him because he was the water carrier for Zidane. Mm. You know the French have always got it. If you look at their national team now, they'll have someone who sits and holds. Um, you know, uh, and, it, and it's quite normal on the continent. But we think, well, that player must be limited in terms of his footballing ability if he does that. And as I say, I think that's why Carrick suffered in terms of. You know, everyone sort of doesn't put him in the same bracket as Gerard and Lampard. Now, mm. you know, he's got more league titles than than, than the pair of them, and you know, more individual honours. Um, you know, uh, in the in the framework of the team than both of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he'll never be compared to them as players because they look at it and go, "Well, Gerard got box to box, and you know, he had everything he could: pass, tackle, shoot, score. You know, mm-hmm. w- win a game, take a game by the scruff of the neck, whatever they need to do. Steve Gerrard could do it, and obviously, you know, he's a, he was he was levelled as a world class player now. Because Carrick couldn't do that, that wasn't to say Carrick wasn't necessarily better at what he was doing. You know, if you look at what Carrick does and in, in, in the framework of the team, mm-hmm. he's done fantastic. And mm-hmm. I think Liverpool as a football club, you look at mm-hmm. Liverpool as a football club, Liverpool have certainly suffered since, since they t- took that player out of the team. I think Steven Gerrard as a footballer suffered since 
that player came out of the team, you know, and, and that player was Alonso for Liverpool. And, yeah. and no mm. one can argue that since Xabi Alonso's come out of that Liverpool side, someone who'd done, you know, not, not so much the box to box, but the link up play and sat in the hole and had a little bit more discipline. Then, you know, Liverpool as a football club certainly have suffered. Um, and I think Steve Gerrard as, as a player, you know, he was. When Alonso was in the team, certainly Steven Gerrard was a much better player in the, in the games mm. I watched because he, he freed him up and allowed him to go and do what he needed to do. Yeah, it was a ter- yeah, terrific partnership. I was just reading, Joy, you've, you've finally announced, and uh, you know, your international retirement. <laughs> You're, I just I mean, felt I had to do it, mate. Well, it's a big um, blow for the fans, that, you know. <laughs> Well, that's what, you know, I didn't see the newspapers for them so much, and it was exactly the same as what happened. I'm sure there was the FA, you know, offering me all kinds of roles. And, 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 I think so you'll be the French ambassador. I think that would be a good role yeah, well, for you. you know, French ambassador. It is an option. I mean, I've got such a good French accent. That, yeah. you, know, <laughs> the interview, you, know, me, me, me you know, translation skills will be second to none. Joyce, so what's your intentions, pal? Do you... Do you do you fancy staying out there for the rest of your career? I mean, the way I look at it is, I mean, you know, uh, you know, if I'm realistic, I'm, I'm coming back to England. Um, you know, certainly with the baggage that, that I've got, you know, whether it be the, the media sort of want me to fit as Suarez is now finding out the, the archetypal bad boy, which, you know, I've got a lot to answer for and I can't complain about it, but you, you just hope that. You know, they, they sort of judge you fairly, which is never going to happen. So I'm looking at it saying, well, you know, realistically, if I come back to England, you know, where am I going? I'm going to, you know, I'm contracted QPR, so I'm having to get out of that situation because I don't really want to play in the Championship, A, because I didn't get relegated with them. Uh, and also all the connotations that go with that in terms of, you know, if I'd have been in the side that got relegated without a shadow of a doubt of the state and fourth out of it, but, you know, it didn't turn out, it didn't, transpire that way so for me it was a case of well they wanted me out and um, you know it's played out the way it's played out and I didn't wish relegation on them I still gutted for them but but that's what happens in football sometimes and um, you know you, you sort of make your bed you have to lie in it a little bit mm. so for me I'm looking at it going well realistically where do, where do I go if I come back to England um, you know is it going to be you know am I going to get the opportunity to play in the Champions League well you know and on that you know there's no there's no uh, nonsense with me. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, one of the top four sides in England, whether that be, um, you know, look, it's looking like it's going to be Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, Man City, Man United. Am mm. I going to get in any of their sides? I don't think I am. Mm. So, you know, I've got the opportunity out here to play in the Champions League next year. So, <clears throat> you know, I've never played in the Champions League. I've played in the Europa League a couple of times. Never played in the Champions League. You know, as a footballer, you know, you want to you want to test yourself against the best. You know, certainly that, that's what I'm in the game for. You know, the People can say, oh, he's doing it for X, Y, and Z, but ultimately you're in, in the game to, to test yourself against the best. Now, yeah. the, the, the best for me, the best club competition is the Champions League. As I say, I've never played in it. I've watched loads of players who I think I'm better than playing it. Mm. And I've looked and gone. I'm a little bit jealous there. I'd love to test myself to that level. So mm-hmm. hopefully I'll get the opportunity to stay in and test myself. I mean, the, 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 the sort of the, the negative side of that is that you know, you're not playing in a stronger league week in, week out, you know, you know, because, you know, you're playing the Premier League and you're playing against an international from most countries or whatever country that lad's born in week in, week out, whereas in France you're not doing that half the time. You know, when you play the sides near the bottom, you know, you, you know, no disrespect to them, but 
you know, you don't really even know who they are. <laughs> and that's not in a bad way. That, that You yeah. know, you just don't. You just don't know them because I don't know the French League. You know, I don't know players who play for Bastia or players who play for Brest just because I don't watch French football and didn't until I come out here. Mm. Obviously playing against them and watching a lot of French football. Now I, I've got a lot more of an idea of who they are. Mm. But, I mean, if I asked that, any of you who are... Probably Barham Brothers because he's a, a static. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He's a, no, he's a bore, Joey. Yeah. Yeah. But if I asked, yes, that, well, I didn't want to say that because I like John. Um, but if I asked any of you lads, you know, who know your football and know your English football to name me, you know, the lads, the two lads, who, or, or any of the four I play in midfield for Brest who are bottom of our league. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd struggle. No, no, no chance. I thought. I think yeah. the guy on the left side is no bad. <laughs> <laughs> now, take it, Joey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some French name. Uh, I take it from what you've said. You're going to be there next year. Still in France next year, and Champions League football. So, you know, I think it's something for you to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know because, as you know, there's a lot of kind of. You know, it's not solely down to what a player wants, and you know, when you're contracted to someone else, it can. There can be all manner of uh, outcomes, and, uh, and certainly what I've learned, you know, certainly is there's now one thing I've learned in football is to never say never. Oh. Um, so you never know w- what's going to happen. I mean, you know, in an ideal world, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll get the opportunity to play Champions League here because I've, you know, grafted me, me, uh, me crown also to, to, <laughs> yeah. to get in the position with a, no, a number of the other lads. So you want, so you want to have, you know, you want to sign out the team. And I think, you know, this was a football club if. You know, as we spoke about earlier, you know, had a lot, a lot of well-documented problems in the summer, and they were a football club. We went, you know, what we're going to take a chance on you here. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people at the time thought, what are they doing? What's going on? How is he ending up there? But, but they were ballsy enough to say, you know, what we, we think you've got the ability, and we're going to give you the opportunity. Now, I've never forgot that. I'm a loyal, loyal person, and I always thought, well, you know, if they've got, if they've got the, 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 the. Um, the town halls, shall we say, to, to to take me on board and give me the opportunity. Certainly, with us twelve matches suspension and 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 going over me, mm. um, then you know I'm going to give everything I can for this football club. So they backed me when I was in a, in quite a bad place, you know, in my career. And all I want to do now is repay that. And obviously, to stay here, it's going to, you know, I'm going to have to take a financially. But that's never been an issue for me. I've always been like, look, whatever it is, it is. I'll, you know, I'm not playing the game for money anymore. Mm. Um, you know, I made a money a monetary move from Newcastle to QPR, um, signed a four year deal there and it was the worst decision of my life. Um and I promised myself about six or eight months into that that I'd never make a decision solely based on, on, on finance. Um and as I stand here in front of you today, I'm I'm still of that conviction and still like, look, I'm not gonna make a decision for that and you know, if I get the opportunity to come here, then, you know, if I have to take a financial sacrifice or I have to take a financial uh, a, a decrease for it, then, then, then you know, by all means, the, the quality of life out here, playing for a football club that love you, you know, playing for a set of fans that adore you, uh, playing for a team that's in the higher echelons of, 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 of certainly the French League and, and, and obviously going to be in the Champions League next year. For me, that's a lot more than looking at my pay packet at the end of the month going, oh, yeah, actually, you know, we're 500 grand more. Yeah. And for me, it's not about that anymore. And, um, you know, it's easy for me to say, as I say, most people, um, you know, they have certain ways they make decisions. And, uh, and for whatever reasons, there was a weird set of circumstances. I've ended up with this perverse mentality that I've got at the minute. You know, I'm not really, I'm not really that arse about money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play football. 
Brilliant stuff from Joey Barton speaking to Terry's Talk at the weekend. And Terry's Talk is back on Saturday. I'm not there because I'm off to do the Champions League final down at Wembley Stadium. Uh, but from this edition of Planet Football and for the summer as well, it's been great to have you along. Thought you've enjoyed our little delve into the world of football from John Bradley on Planet Football. Good night to you. This is Planet Football with John Bradley. City Talk 105.9.